I'm okay. I'm good. All right. Well, good morning. Good seeing you all this morning. Uh, yeah, just keep those those in prayer. They'll be traveling back. They're going to be filtering back all through the week. Uh, I believe Pastor, Miss Beth, I think they're coming back Wednesday. Others will be traveling tomorrow. Um, some are on the road now, so just uh, I'm sure their their prayers are welcomed. And of course, you got all the other churches. You got many from up in Michigan, so a lot of people from all over. I was able to get down there uh, for Friday evening, and uh, it was a real blessing. Um, got to hear just two preachers, but uh, it was it was really good. It was good to just to see how crowded that place uh, can get. And I don't think the new building, once they have it up and running, I don't think they're going to have nearly as much room as they think they're going to have because I think it's going to fill up pretty quick as well Amen. so what a what a problem good problem to have um if you could get the genesis oh, I'm sorry judges chapter six I'm not touching genesis I know that's where pastor's at I don't want to get in that area um but we're going to go through some things here in judges if I can find it Appreciate uh, Katie Ann and Becca filling in on the piano and just everybody stepping up and filling in. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of amazing when you have this many people gone, yet we're not really missing a beat. And, and everyone's just stepping up and taking their, you know, God's... Uh, we're going to be in, in uh, Judges, chapter 6. Um, but yeah, it's just good to see everybody stepping up and uh, just filling in where they can and, and pitching in. Uh, it's a blessing. And, you know, that's, that's what God would have us to do. Um, you know, we, we all have something that he's prepared us for. And, 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 you know, when you get the call, it's good to be ready, uh, whether it's to give a testimony or to play the piano or, or preach and teach. Uh, I will give you, I'm, I'm going to say this, though. It's been a few years since I've taught Sunday school to anybody with double digits in their age. So if I talk to you like you're like seven years old, you know, I'm not talking down to you, it's just, you know, who I'm used to talking to. Um, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at Gideon this morning. I was going through this a few weeks ago. I was going through Judges. And I've seen some characteristics of Gideon uh, there in chapter 6, 7, and 8. We're not going to, I have way more material here than hopefully I'll need. Um, but that's always good. Uh, so we're obviously not going to get through all of it. But there is a few areas that I really do want to focus on. Uh, let me open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord. Let's pray for all those that will be traveling. Uh, I just pray, Lord, for uh, even in this church, just coming, going to and from the services, Lord. You just uh, just keep us safe. I pray for There's a lot of uh, younger kids in the church that are sick now. I just pray you to put your hand upon them, Lord, and heal them up. Pray for their parents and uh, you know, while they're taking care of them. I just pray, Lord, you'd just move me out of the way now and uh, that your word would, would not return void, Lord. And somebody here today, uh, all of us, Lord, that we would get something from your word today. We love you, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Wednesday, and, and this is, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of touch on this again. A lot of these, these messages, the Sunday school, the, the Sunday, or the Wednesday evening, uh, the Sunday morning message, they're all somewhat intertwined, and this was really not by my design. It's just the way when the Lord put the messages on my heart, um, it's kind of the way that things worked out. Um, but I noticed there was a, a somewhat of a pattern there, um, and we talked about your testimony on Wednesday. Today I want to speak about certain characteristics uh, of Gideon, and I think the characteristics that are good to have even today, uh, I think some of us... Uh, 
you know, I like to think that we're, we're really not lacking in these things. Maybe, maybe in some of these areas, uh, any of us or all of us could maybe use a little tune-up, but I mean, that's not really anything out of the ordinary. Uh, that's what God's Word is here to do, is to, to show us where we need some work in our lives and some things we need to maybe touch on. But I, I think these, these characteristics reflect what a Christian should be. Um, so I want to look, we're going to start here in the verse uh, six, chapter 6. Um, if you look there in verse 1, it says, And the children of Israel hid in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord... I'm sorry, I don't know what I just read there. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. So throughout the book of Judges, you have this recurrent theme. You have this, this they sin. A lot of times it's idol worship. They're sinning against God. And then they go into captivity. And then there's a period of repentance. And then God delivers them. And then the cycle just repeats itself again. You have your sin, your captivity, your repentance, your deliverance. And this just keeps keeps repeating itself, and God is at this point, this is before any kings had taken, uh, taken the throne, God is their king. God is the king of Israel at this point. Um, they, haven't, they haven't requested or, or demanded another king, as they will eventually do. Um, and God, in, in the times when he sees fit, he's put judges in their lives. And Gideon, I believe, is the sixth judge uh, of Israel during this time period. And, and I, th I think of, out of all of them, I look at Gideon and I look at his life and I think, you know, he, he was probably uh, one of the more, more God-fearing men. Uh, I think they all had good attributes. Uh, Samson, he was a little rough around the edges, um, but, you know, he, he realized some things there at the very end. And, uh, you know, I think uh, sometimes we focus too much on what people do or do not do. Um, but, you know, I think with Samson, we have to look at it and say, you know, he, he, did get, he did get turned around. And he did serve God there at the very end. Yes, it was at his death, but he got there. Okay, a lot of people never get to that point, um, even back then. So uh, I'm not certainly not here to talk down or bad about any of them. God chose these men, and God knew who he was choosing and why he was choosing them. Uh, but as I was going through and I seen some things about Gideon, um, in verses, and I'm going to, just, I'm going to a few of these, these passages, I'm just going to give... Just a quick overview, and then maybe within that passage, I'll, I'll hit two or three of the verses specifically. But in the passage of uh, verses 11 through 14, we see that an angel of the Lord appeared. Now, I, I do want to focus on this a little bit. Verse 11, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abizarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And whereby, or where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this uh, thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? So I want to look at this angel of the Lord. This is important because it's going to put things in the proper context. The angel of the Lord that we see here is actually God incarnate. This is, this is Jesus Christ before he came as a babe in a manger, okay, and put in a manger. This was before he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is God incarnate. And people will say, well, Jesus Christ isn't in the Old Testament. They say that because they're not looking for Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. 
Okay, they don't want to find him. This, this is God incarnate. And you say, well, how can you say, well, let's look at a couple of these verses here. See, my notes might be a little jumbled. I was going through this somewhat early this morning. Um, let's look at verses. Let's look at 623. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. That's probably not the verse I was looking for. Um, Man, this is embarrassing. I know I went through this. Return to God. Apologize. Uh, Here we go. Okay, I had it in the next section of notes down. I got a little bit ahead of myself. Um, but let, let, since we're here, in verse 11, he is called an angel, okay, an angel of the Lord. Now let's look down in verse 13. And Gideon said to him, O my Lord. Okay, you see there a capital L, lowercase o-r-d. When the Bible says an angel of the Lord, the word Lord is capitalized, capital L-O-R-D. Okay, so Gideon at this point hasn't quite made that connection. Verse 14 says, And the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, looked upon him. And then there in verse 15, Gideon again, O my Lord, with the lowercase O-R-D. Verse 16, now we're getting into the first person. It says, And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee. So now we're, the Lord is speaking in first person. Okay? He's, this is still the angel of the Lord, so he's speaking in first person. At this point, Gideon didn't quite know who he was talking to. And, and this will be, when we get there, when we get to that point, this will be reinforced. You'll see what I'm saying. But this, this here, God came down in a, in a form that he could visibly be seen by Gideon so that he, he could talk to him and he can converse with him. And, and God said, you know, no man can see me yet live unless he come down in his incarnate form, which is what he did here. And it happens in other times throughout the Bible as well. Um, but we see here, the, the land of Israel was in sin. We see when, when Gideon's talking to the angel here, he says um, there in verse 13, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? First aspect of Gideon, the characteristics I want to look at here is his honesty. Gideon's just being honest. He's speaking what is on his mind. Uh, he, he was saying, well, Lord, if, if, if you're with us, if the Lord is with us, then, then how can all of this stuff be happening? Now, I don't think he was questioning the intent of what the Lord was saying. I don't think he was questioning whether or not it was truthful. But he, he was in this situation where the nation was, was impoverished. If you look back through there in the earlier verses of this chapter, um, in verse 2, "...in the hand of the Midian prevailed against Israel, and because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made them dens, which are in the mountains, and caves, and strongholds." So they're, they're basically living in holes. They're living in dens and caves. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them, destroyed the increase of the earth, till thou uh, came unto Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. So they weren't necessarily attacking the man, they were attacking the substance of the earth. They were, they were taking away, they were starving them out. They had a siege against them. They were taking away their, their crops, they were taking away their, their food. Um, so Gideon, he was saying, how can the Lord be with us amongst all of this? Now, we've all been in that situation where we say, well, you know, where is God in this time of my life? And we were all probably familiar with that, that poem, Footprints. And at the end of that thing, he says, well, the times you only saw one set was when I was carrying you. 
And I mean, there, there's, that, that, that's truthful in a lot of ways. You know, God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. So God hadn't left the nation of Israel. They had left them. Or they had left him. And what Gideon, what he, he just got so focused, I believe, on, on his current situation that he forgot to realize what Israel had done. Now, in the earlier verses of this chapter, you read how the Lord had sent them a, a prophet and had, had told them, you know, look, you, you've gone into sin, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you out of this thing. You know, you, you're right now you're going through this period of seven years uh, because you, you, you sinned against me. You turned your back from me. There has to be some punishment for that sin. He says, but I'm going to deliver you from this. So Gideon's asking, you know, where was God? Where are you? And the angel uh, said that the Lord is with thee. The weight of the circumstances, I think it prevented Gideon from seeing God's hand. He just failed to real, recognize that the situation that the nation as a whole was in was because of the sin of the nation as a whole. Uh, they, they turned from God. Uh, it was probably idolatry. Um, that was a lot of what they got into. That was their problem, the things that they seen. They wanted to be around like the nations around them. They, they so much wanted to fit in that they forsook God. Until they got to the point where the, the pain became too much for them to bear, and then they turned back to God. And like, there goes that cycle that I talked about earlier. God would deliver them, and then they would fall back into that, that sin, that idolatry, and that thing that, that got, got them away from God. Gideon wasn't criticizing, or he wasn't questioning God, but he wanted to know how could God be with them in the midst of all this trouble. Uh, let's look at verses 8 and 10. Um, this is where the prophet said, The Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. Uh, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. So God said, Look, I brought you up. I brought you out of the, the land of Egypt. I've done all this for you. He said, but don't fear. Don't fear the, God, the small g gods of the Amorites. Don't, don't fear them. He said, I will deliver you again. He said, I, 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 don't forget, I've given you this land. So there was a promise there that they had. Uh, verses 15 to 21. Said, it's going to be kind of a high-level uh, overlook at some of this stuff, but uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to pause here and there, like I said, just to focus in on a few things. But as we go through this, I want you to... to Look at Gideon, and I want you to see as he, throughout this conversation, how he uh, comes quickly around to, to the Lord's way of thinking. You know, I wonder sometimes, why does it take us so long to get back where God would have us to be? Gideon snapped around pretty quick. He did an about-face, and then, I don't, he was never against the Lord. He was just had some honest questions as though, you know, why and, and how is this going to come about? And then once he realized who he was talking to, you know, it was, it was all, he, was, he was all in. Uh, let's look at verses 15 to 17, just kind of an overview. Um, God gives grace to the humble. So the second thing I want to talk about is, is Gideon was, was humble. You know, we, I think it, it serves us all to be a little, uh, a little humble in our lives. Um, on the way over this morning, Andrew and Becker were talking in the back seat, and there was a conversation about humble. And one said, you don't know what humble is. And it was kind of funny. I'm thinking, well, that's, you know, that's like my point in the message this morning. Um, but I think they both know what being humble means. Um, it, it's, but we're going to talk about that because I think it's sometimes you can, you can cross that line and you can stop being humble and just start being uh, uh, self-deprecating. But we're, we'll get there. 
So we already talked about who the angel of the Lord is. Uh, I just got ahead of myself earlier, ahead of my notes, but we looked at who this angel of the Lord is, and it's important to give this thing the proper context because we want to see that this is God dealing directly with Gideon. This is not uh, one of this is not a, a Gabriel. Uh, this, is the, this is the angel of the Lord himself. This is, I believe, like I said, Jesus Christ before he, was come, he come as a babe in the manger. Uh, so that was important to get that in the proper context because when we come across where Gideon makes that realization, it, it's, it's going to have some significance. Um, so Gideon wasn't questioning how God would save Israel, um, but he was instead saying, well, how, could, how was Gideon? Let's get this conversation here in 6.15. Said, and he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So he was saying, how can I possibly do this? He wasn't, again, he didn't know he was talking to God. So he was just questioning, how can I, how can I do this? How, how are you going to use me? He, he said, look, I, I come from a lowly family. And he said, and not only is my family lowly, but I'm like the lowliest of that family. He said, don't, don't you realize who you're speaking to? Because I, I really am lower than, than, than anybody. He said, I don't see how I could be doing this. Um, and that's, that's significant. You say, well, why? Because you've heard Pastor talk about that, that uh, barley loaf, that dream. And the soldier hears about that barley come crashing through the camp. And they said, oh, yeah, it's just Gideon. You got to put all that, and you got to look at what is barley. That was the cheapest form of bread. That's like going and just buying, you know, some basic white bread down at the store. You can get it on pretty much any store shelf. Uh, it's all over. It's very common. It, it's probably the cheapest form of bread you can find. Uh, it, it's just out there. Well, barley was the same thing. It was it was very common, very easy to come by. There really wasn't uh, anything special about it in the sense that it was just just barley bread. Uh, you get over there in the uh, John. In chapter 6, we don't have to turn there, but the Lord used the little, as Dr. Peacock calls them, lad with a lunch. And, and five uh, barley loaves and two fishes, he fed the multitude. So the Lord didn't look on that barley loaf like it was insignificant or it was too, too low for him to use. He, he said, I can use this. And I think part of why he can use stuff like that is because they don't think too highly of themselves. Now, I'm not, clearly, I'm not talking about the bread thinking highly of itself. I'm talking about Gideon. He was in a place where God could use him because he didn't put himself above others. In fact, he did just the opposite. He said, look, I'm surely there's better choices out there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm humble. I'm, I'm lowly. My family is lowly. And, and basically, without saying it, he was basically saying, you know, I'm like a barley loaf. And you'll, you'll see that connection here in a little bit. Um, it was very, very common. It was, it was abundant. Uh, and there was really nothing special about it. Um, let's look at first. Hold your place here, but turn to First Corinthians one twenty-seven. I think this is important to to look at some of these things. Um, you know, when you get there and you start talking about these these things, and people, you know, I've read that story about barley. I don't know how many times. However many times I've read through the, the Bible, and however many times I've read those specific you know, passages, but. It started, you know, the Lord, Lord started putting that on my heart and said, there's something significant here. Usually when you come across something like that, that just kind of, it almost seems out of place. Like it, it just doesn't seem like, why is this in the account? Usually there's a reason for that. And the Lord's saying, you know, why don't you dig a little deeper? Why don't you go ahead and 
park it for a while, get out the shovel and dig a little deeper and see what, what is it with this, this barley? Why am I talking about barley? So maybe I have something to teach you here. So uh, it, it's kind of neat how the Lord will, will, will just impress that upon you. And we get over here to 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. The Bible says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So for God to use Gideon was certainly not out of his, his realm of ability. I mean, he, he can do and use whoever he wants and do whatever he wants. But he tends to use those that don't think too highly of themselves because they're in a position where they're going to look to him. They're in a position to, to follow him. They're in a position to say, you know what, Lord, I can't do this of my own accord, but if this is what you want me to do, then I can make it happen. Well, you can make it happen through me, by using me. But like I said, there's an inherent danger of being too humble. That's called self-deprecation. And, and, I, and, and Gideon is, I think he's probably getting fairly close to, to flirting with this boundary. He, he's, he's almost to the point where he's like, man, I'm, I'm really useless. There's nothing that I can do. And that wasn't the case. But he, he's, he, he wanted to be very clear of his status in life. And there's a difference in being humble and knowing and confident in what God has done with you and then constantly tearing and putting yourself down. Now, if I was to go through here, and I'm not going to pick out anybody because I, I don't want you to think that I have you know, somebody in mind. But if I was to go out into this crowd and pick out any one of you and, and just start just, oh, you know, you... You're, you smell bad, and you don't, I don't like the way you dress, and look at your shoes, they're atrocious, and, and, and you know, whatever. And if I just started just tearing you apart, whether you were a male or a female, and I just really just started laying into you, the rest of you would think, man, you're being a jerk. Why are you being so insulting to this person? Why are you doing that? Well, don't you realize when you do that to yourself, it's the same thing? When you start tearing yourself down, you start uh, just, just pulling yourself apart, that's the same thing as going up there and, and, and doing it to somebody else and putting somebody else down and making somebody else feel about that little. See, it, it, we don't think of it in that context. But what we've got to stop and realize, like, wait a minute, God's using them and doing something with, with them just as he's using me and doing something with me. So when I'm tearing myself down, when I'm tearing myself apart, then I'm, I'm, I'm doubting what God can do with me just as I would be doubting what God can do with any one of you if I did that to you. So we have to be very careful about this. Sometimes it's easy. We can put ourselves down and we don't think much of it. We just figure, oh, well, you know, I'm, it's me. I'm allowed to do that. Well, really, God doesn't want us to do that to ourselves. That's not what he told us to do. There's no point in Scripture. He says, you know, just now we have to realize who we are and that's where humility comes into it, but not to the point where we're, we're uh, degrading ourselves so much to the point where we're of no use. Uh, we're God's, the Bible says we're a new creature, and all things are passed away. So we're still a work in progress. So if that's the, the case, which it is because the Bible says so, if that's the case, then, then by tearing ourselves down like that, that's a sin against God. Um, we're, we're, we're basically saying that God is not capable or is not going to fulfill the promises that he, he said in us. He, began, uh, he will not continue the work that he began with us. Uh, Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident in this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So when you sit there and you say, Well, I can't do nothing. I can't serve the Lord. I, I, what can I do? Well, you're calling him a liar there in Philippians 1.6. He says, Be confident. He which begun a good work in you will perform it until the... He's not going to be finished until the day of Jesus Christ. Well, that day is not here yet. 
So he's not finished. So realize that while you may have a little ways to go, like all of us do, understand that God's not done with you and that he is willing to work with you. But sometimes, and this is a problem, this is something I struggled with. Um, I don't think a lot of my life it wasn't humility, it was just a lack of confidence that I really couldn't do anything. It just seemed like, I mean, there for the longest time, everything I touched, it just seemed to turn into a mess. But again, this, the, but the Lord, you know, he worked on me, he showed me some things, and he showed me that what I was doing was I was, I was defeating myself. And a lot of the problems I had was because I didn't have the trust in him to do what he said he could do in me. But like everything else, there is a balance. You, you need this balance. And if you're not careful, you'll go the other way. And that's called arrogance and, and pride. And, and you become braggadocious. So what you need to do, like anything and everything in our lives, you need to keep Jesus Christ in the, in the center of that thing. You keep him in focus. So you got one side over here where you're just... Constantly putting yourself down, tearing yourself apart, saying, I can't do nothing. The Lord can't do nothing with me. I'm useless. I'm no good. I'm dumb. I'm ugly. I smell funny. I can't do nothing. And then you come over here and you say, well, look at me. Look at me. Look at all I've done. I'm going to build bigger barns. Man, I am so good. Man, man, I'm good. Everyone should bow in front of me. I'm good. I can sing. I can play the piano. I can preach. I can do this. I can. I, I, there's nothing I can't do. I've never, never worked on a car before, but I can go. I, I promise I can fix your car. That's how good I am. Okay, now all of a sudden, where's the where's Lord Jesus Christ in any of that? He's nowhere because now all of a sudden you've turned it on yourself. So what you need to do is you need to bring that thing back into the center line. And you need to say, well, you know what? I may not be very good at this, but if the Lord's called me to do it, he'll give me what I need to get it done. And then when you get through the other side of that thing and you accomplish what he wanted you to do, you say, well... It wasn't for the Lord, but for the grace of God, you know, I wouldn't have gotten through that. Yeah, it turned out pretty good, but it was only by God that I was able to do that. I've seen a lot of people, they get caught up. It's almost like they catch themselves, and they'll start talking about you know, how great they are and, and, and all the things that they've done and the levels they've attained, and, and then you know, as if by a second, they're like, oh, wait, well, you know, of course, you know, that was God. God did that. It was almost, it was an afterthought. Like they, 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 they caught themselves. They realized, wait a minute, I'm getting a little too far over the line here. So you got to find that balance. And Gideon, uh, I think he was, he, was, he was pretty close to the center line there. But like I said, I think he might have flirted just a bit with, with being a little too self-deprecating. But uh, not to the point where uh, uh, you know, he wasn't ready to be used when the Lord wanted to use him. In verse 16 and 17, Gideon was willing to believe and follow God, but he wanted to be sure that he was following God and not an evil spirit. Now, don't confuse assurance in God's will with disobedience. Look at, let's look at those verses. 16, And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Um, there's nothing wrong. Now, of course, we understand, you know, signs are, are for the Jew, wisdom's for the Greeks. I understand that. But Gideon, he was a Jew. You know, there's nothing wrong for him to ask for a sign. Uh, he was just, he was wanting assurance. There's nothing wrong with being sure that what you're doing is what God would have you to do. If you're going out there and you're doing something, you know with a certainty that, that that's what God would have you to do, even if it seems a little crazy, and that's what God would have you to do, 
then by all means, you need to do his will and you need to follow him. But you need to make sure that truly that is what he wants you to do. You know, we've heard, we've heard stories of, of how, uh, you know, we heard uh, testimonies a few weeks ago, those that, that, follow, that joined the church. And uh, don't remember your last name, brother, but uh, you and your wife, uh, you said you just boxed everything up. And, and it was ready to go and say, okay, we're ready, God, whenever you're, you're ready and whenever you're ready to send us, we got everything in a box, it, it's, it's ready to go. Now, the world would probably look at that and say, what are you doing? You're out of your mind. You're nuts. But see, he had assurance from the Lord that that was the right thing to do. Got everything ready to go. And then when the Lord said, okay, now this is time to go and this is where I want you to go. And that's, that's what he did. And that's all Gideon was doing, just looking for a little bit of assurance, not to be confused with disobedience. Uh, he never said that he would not do as instructed. He just wanted to be sure that what he was doing was actually in God's will and what uh, the Lord wanted him to do. First um, John 4.1 tells us to try, to try the spirits whether they are of God. See, we're even instructed to do that. Make sure that what we think we're being told to do, try the spirits. Make sure that's what God would have you to do. Amen. Too many people, um, and what I've noticed over the years and when somebody really goes to great lengths to say, to right off the bat, try and force it down your throat and tell you, well, it's, it's the Lord's will. It's the Lord's will. I've noticed the people that, that tout that the most, and that's just how they start off every conversation when they're about to tell you what they're getting into, that I've, I've found from experience that they're not entirely sure that that's the Lord's will, but they're trying to convince themselves as much as they're trying to convince you. And they figure if they repeat it enough, they'll start to believe it. You know, when I do something, I don't have to sit there and convince anybody because it's the Lord telling me to do it. And I'll just say, you know, this is what God would have me to do. I'm not here to convince you. Uh, I've already been through that process because I had to to, uh, verify it with the Lord. I had to vet that thing, make sure that that's what he wanted me to do, where he wanted me to be, and how to do it. So me convincing anybody, I'm I'm beyond that point because at that point my mind's made up and said, okay, this is what the Lord would have me to do. This is what I'm going to do. A lot of times people will try and convince themselves while they're trying to convince others. Verses 20 through through 24 here, we see here that Gideon had a healthy fear of the Lord. And Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I believe that Gideon here had a fear of the Lord. And this is where he comes to the realization of exactly who he was talking to. Verse 22, and when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord, God, all caps, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Ophrah and the Abizarites. So he had a genuine fear and reverence of God. And in Exodus, clearly he had probably read Exodus thirty-three twenty. That's when God told Moses. He said, look, if any man see me, he shall die. You're not going to live if you see me. So Gideon was aware of this. This had passed it down to him. He understood this. But yet, as we talked about, the incarnate form of God was able to be seen. See, God always makes a way. When, when God wants to have a conversation with you, when he wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's him talking to you and that he's calling you to do something, he will make that way. He, he will get through to you. 
And, he, and he, he deals with all of us differently because we're all individuals. We're all different. But God will get through. I said this the other day, and I may even say it again in morning service. We become too familiar with God at times. I said, I think a lot of times we approach him as if he's on a bar stool rather than on the throne. Okay, we, 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 we're just too chummy with him. We're too buddy-buddy with him. That reverence, that, that fear of the Lord has gone away. And all of a sudden, he's become our buddy to, you know, we, we cry on his shoulder. It's like, wait a minute, where, where's that fear of the Lord? Where's that reverence when you approach him? Why do you talk to him like you talk to the guy sitting next to you at the Bengals game? You know, why don't you talk to him like he's... Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and he's sitting on the throne right now. Because that, in actuality, is what and who he is and where he is. And that's how we should approach him. Uh, he's the creator of all, Genesis 1.1. He's the author and finisher of our life, Hebrews 12.2. Uh, he's the comforter, John 14.26. And he should be acknowledged in each and every single one of those uh, uh, as such. He's the Father, he's the Son, and he's the Holy Ghost. Uh, he's a triune God. So how do you figure all that thing out? I don't know. I don't try. The Bible says it. I believe it. It's true whether I believe it or not. But I just happen to fall in line with what the book says. And I'm not going to expend too much time trying to figure out something that I'm just going to believe it and accept it at face value and trust God. Um, let's see. What time do you guys normally quit? About 10 till? Quarter till? About 10 till? I have a few minutes here. Let's jump over to chapter 7. I said, there's a lot here, and I know I'm going through it kind of quickly, but I think there's just a few points. I mean, this is only going to be, you only have to suffer with me for one week. You'll, you'll, be, you'll get Pastor back next Sunday, so um, you'll get back on track with him in Genesis. But I, I just, I didn't want to do anything that would impose upon him, but more, more importantly, like I said, the Lord kind of laid this on my heart, and I didn't know at the time that it was for this reason but he just showed me some things in Gideon. And then when the opportunity arose, I said, well, I think this is, you know, prayed about it. And I said, well, this is what the Lord would have me to do. Uh, verses 10 through 15 in chapter 7. Um, I'll go ahead and read those. It says, but if, the, if thou fear to go down, go thou with Funa, Fura, thy servant, down to the host. And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Phura, his servant, to the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed the dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. And I just think this part is, this just shows the humor of the Lord. And his fellow answered and said, eh, that's nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And it's almost like he said it, like, yeah, that's all it is. And then he just got back to whatever he was, he was doing. I mean, it's like the Lord just opened his mouth and spake through him and gave him this interpretation. And um, God knew that Gideon's heart, and he knew that he could use a little encouragement. You know what? Sometimes... God will give us the encouragement we need. Amen. In fact, he always gives us the encouragement we need. And sometimes he might even use the enemy to do it. And we just overhear a conversation. And you say, well, that's just a silly thing. You know, a barley loaf rolling around. How's that? 
Because back in the last chapter, we read how, how, how base Gideon is and how, real, how he realized how lowly he is among a lowly family, how common he is. And God said, yeah, I recognize that. I know you're just a barley loaf, but I can still do great things with that barley loaf if you're willing. There's a difference between a push to do the right thing and just reassurance, just, just a little bit of encouragement. Gideon wasn't afraid of, and this is the important part, Gideon wasn't hesitant. He wasn't afraid for his life. He wasn't fearing for him. He, otherwise, he went, went down there into the camp and risked you know, getting caught. Lord told him to go. Said, okay. He said, the Lord said I can go down there if I need just a little bit of encouragement. So we'll go down there because the Lord said it's okay to do so. He wasn't fearing for his life. You know what he was afraid of? He was afraid of misleading God's people or doing something against the will of God or leading God's people against the will of God. He didn't want to be a stumbling block. He didn't want to mess up. He just wanted to make sure that what he was doing was the right thing. He wanted to be sure that he was within God's will for not only himself, but the nation. Gideon understood the significance of that barley loaf. Uh, he, he understood as soon as he heard that, he said, yeah, I got you, God. God, I, I know what you're saying. I hear you. He said, I appreciate that. And he said, well, where did he get that interpretation of? Real quick, let's just look at Genesis chapter 40. We'll be wrapping up here in just a few moments. One other thing I want to touch on real quick. but Let's go to Genesis 40, chapter 8. I'm sorry, chapter 8. Chapter 40, verse 8. I'll get it right eventually. 40, verse 8. And they said unto him, We have dreamed the dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. And then on Daniel 2.26, and I can just get there and read it. Maybe. Daniel 2.26 says, the king answered and said to Daniel, Whose name was Belteshazzar? Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be done in the latter days. So God's interpreting this dream. He sent, he sent Gideon down there for a reason. He said, you know what, what you need to do is you need to get down there and you need to hear it out of the enemy's mouth that God has given you the ability to deliver my people. He said, that'll give you what you need to, to, to do. That'll give you what you need to know if you hear it straight from the horse's mouth. So that's what he did. He went down there and he got the encouragement that God had intended for him. Now let's go to uh, chapter 8 as we, as we close this thing up. So we've seen a lot, of, a lot of positive qualities with Gideon, a lot of things that we should aspire. We should, we should, try to, we should be honest. We should be humble. Um, there's nothing wrong with making sure if God tells us to do something, to make sure that that's really what he wants us to do and that it's not our own thoughts and desires and wishes controlling it, but it truly is of God. But in the midst of all that, you can still have the right intentions and do the wrong thing. Verses 22 to 27 of chapter 8, 
It says, Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. So he's got that right. That, that's, he's, no. He says, God is the king. I'm not in charge of you. He said, God's allowing me to do some things, but God's still in charge. Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey for the uh, golden earrings because they were the Ishmaelites. And they answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast there in every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold beside ornaments, collars, purple raiment that was on the rings of Midian, uh, on the kings of Midian and beside the chains uh, that were about their camels' necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his own city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. See, his mindset was right. His intentions were right, but the actions were wrong. Again, he, now this time he didn't stop to make sure if that was the right thing to do. He just went ahead and did it and said, the nation went a whoring after it and, he, and it became a snare. See, sometimes doing what you think God would have you to do or what God may want without getting him involved in the process will like, take you down the wrong path. It won't be a help to you. It won't be a blessing to you. It'll be just the opposite. It'll be a snare. It'll be a trap. David wanted to build the temple. God said, no. He said, I like your mindset, but that's not for you to do. He said, you've got too much blood on your hands. He said, I have that set aside for your son to do. A lot of times we can, we can uh, it was said the other night down there in, in uh, Jacksonville, you can do the right thing at the wrong time or in the wrong place. So he had no business making an ephod. That was a priestly garment. You can go over and uh, uh, we're not going to turn there, but if you're taking notes, Exodus 28, uh, verses 4 through 8 and verse 12. Gideon was not a Levite. He was an Abizarite from Abiezer, the son of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. You can get that over in Joshua 17 too. So they went whoring after this thing as a nation. It became a snare on the Gideon in his house. He was zealous, but God never told him to do that. It was a good idea, but God never sanctioned it. See, the devil can fill our heads with good ideas sometimes. And he can give us all kinds of ideas and things that we should ought to be doing. But unless you clear that with God first, it's not the right thing to be doing. Where Gideon was very cautious with the people in combat, he wasn't quite as cautious in these other manners. It's not the enemy outside that will always cause us problems. You know, sometimes it's our own thoughts. Sometimes it's our own desires. Sometimes it's our own wishes. Even if we're just being zealous for the Lord, sometimes it's, it's, it's those things when we don't get him involved that can cause us problems. The problems can come from within, and a lot of times we create them. I think sometimes we give the devil a little too much credit. I think a lot of times the problems we have start within us. Start with that guy in the mirror. Just like Saul, um, God had made him a king and a, and a prophet, but he, God never made Saul a, a, a priest. He made him a prophet and a king. See, he didn't consult with God either. He just, he just took on the role of a priest, and he lost the kingdom because of it. David wanted to build a temple. We thought about that. Nathan, he even approved it. And then God got a hold of Nathan and said, hold on now. You need to go back and tell, God what I th- or tell David what I think about this. See, God had a reason for all that. He knew that he would give uh, Israel peace in, 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 during the reign of Solomon. 
and, and that Solomon could build that temple, and he was, the, he was the right one for it. David just had too much blood on his hand. That didn't mean what David did was wrong. He did exactly what God had appointed him to do. He was completely in God's will when he was out there conquering the nations and doing those things. But there came a time when that was no longer a necessity. Now different responsibilities fell to his son. We all have different marching orders from the Lord. And that's one thing we have to get, we have to realize. What I'm called to do, some of you or may not. And what some of you are called to do, the Lord's not told me to do. See, we're all a body of Christ. So if we were all a body made up of hands, it would not only look funny, but we wouldn't be very productive. So we need all these different parts, and the body of Christ is no different. The church is no different. We need these various parts. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the Sunday school lesson. I just pray that it, uh, it helped. It was a help to somebody here today, Lord. I thank you for the time I spent. It was a help to me going through it. Uh, I just pray for the morning service this morning, Lord, and I pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they would make that decision. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.